Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2205. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Dominic Dobson is the president of Dobson Motorsports, the Northwest's finest Porsche service sales and storage facility you can find. He and his team offer service, repair, restoration, and EV conversions. I can't wait to hear about this. Dominic is a former IndyCar and sports car racer who made seven consecutive starts in the Indy 500 and one fastest rookie in history in 1988. He started his in over 60 cart IndyCar series winning rookie of the year in 86. He's raced in the 24-hour Le Mans, Daytona 24-hour, and Sebring 12 hours numerous times. Dominic has raced in the Baja 1000, Pikes Peak International Hill Climb, he founded Motion Research Technologies, a pioneer in augmented reality, and invented the world's first wireless heads-up display, Sport View, for motorcycle riders. He's a racing coach as well and has managed Andrew Evans and Marco Kosick in their racing careers. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors, so give them a little love. They keep the fuel in the tanks here, and we'll be right back. I've enjoyed the quality and variety of Lloyd's floor mats for decades now, and I'm super excited to report that Lloyd's Mat Store is now part of the Covercraft family of products, car care that protects the things that move you. Lloyd's floor mats are the ultimate in quality and fit with carpet mats, all-weather mats, Velour Tex, Berber, Classic Loop Carpet, and they're proudly made in the USA. They're designed and sewn with the highest of quality and offer custom fitment for almost any vehicle. There's a wide variety of styles, fabrics, and colors to choose from, and hundreds of licensed logos as well. Protect your vehicle's factory carpets from moisture, dirt, mud, snow, slush, anything that Mother Nature can throw your way. All of your options are quality made, easy to clean, they secure to the floor, and they look oh so good. Check out Lloyd's Mat Store for a wide variety of styles, colors, and options for your vehicle today. And I've got a special deal for you. If you use the code CARSYEAH, C-A-R-S-Y-E-A-H, at lloydsmatstore.com, you'll get $10 off. Just use the code CARSYEAH at L-L-O-Y-D. M-A-T-S-S-T-O-R-E.com, Lloyd'sMatStore.com, Covercraft and Lloyd's Mats, protecting the things that move you. I was talking with a buddy of mine the other day and he asked me about American Collectors Insurance. He said, while I listen to you on Cars Yeah, you're always talking about agreed value collector car insurance. Well, I insure all my cars on my regular auto insurance policy, and I've done it for years. Why use a different company for my collector cars? I get a multi-car discount. Isn't that good enough? I suggested he call his carrier and ask how much he would get if his collector car was totaled are stolen. He called back and said, boy, that was a scary conversation. Their value of my car wasn't even close to what it's really worth. Thank you for the education, Mark. So don't just hope for a fair claim settlement. Be certain and know exactly what you receive with an agreed value policy. American Collectors Insurance has been protecting enthusiasts since 1976. Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 866- 
888-789-9324. Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green's at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance, classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors, automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. Fall is here, and you know what that means. Time to put a good coat of protection on your vehicle. I'm teamed up with AutoGeek, and they've been the leading source of auto detailing products, accessories, and expert knowledge for more than 20 years. What started back in 1997 as a small mail-order catalog company grew into a multi-website-based e-commerce store, and that's what they are today. With a large online presence on its own website featuring close to 100 different brands, AutoGeek has grown to be the largest car care retailer in the country. AutoGeek's wholesale program serves accounts in over 30 countries, and its retail sector ships worldwide. If you want to protect your vehicle this fall, and you should, go to AutoGeek.net for the best product selection on the internet today and technical support. AutoGeek.net is where I go for my detailing needs. That's AutoGeek.net. So, Dominic, we are back now. I was looking back, and I run into you every year at different events, and you and I ran into each other this past summer at, of course, Car Week. Uh, I think we actually always seem to run into each other at the airport, which is kind of interesting, but since we're flying in and out of SeaTech, that makes sense. But I've really been wanting to have you back since you took over Dobson Motorsports, because it used to be Gerber. I loved that dealership because they're the ones that saved my 72S. They figured out what was wrong with that car and made it work well right before I decided to sell it. And then as a result, I kept it. But I'd like for you to catch us up on what's going on in your world. So let's start with Dobson Motorsports. What's it all about? Well, Dobson Motor, yeah, thank you. And thanks for having me, Mark. It's, it's fun to be back on after, geez, I think we just talked about it seven years. I know. It's like time has flown and the world has changed a little bit, hasn't it? Well, it certainly has. Yeah. You know, I was, uh, I think the last time we talked, we I was just wrapped up my stint at the at the America's Car Museum, and I was doing um, car sales, uh, vintage and collector car sales, consignment sales through my company, Dobson Motorsport, which is, you know, what I had in, in kind of all my racing stuff revolved around that, and uh, and that was a lot of fun. I was involved in, in some other things, but one of the things that happened shortly um, uh, thereafter is uh, I was approached by my old team manager, um, Walter Gerber, from when uh, I raced in the for uh, Bruce Levin at Bayside Racing, Walter was was the team manager there. Walter, after he retired from racing in about 1990, started or late 90s, I should say 99, I think, started Gerber Motorsport in Seattle, which was a Porsche specialty shop. Walter was a very classically trained Swiss Porsche mechanic, uh, trained at the Porsche factory as a as an apprentice. Worked there for a number of years before he moved over here and got involved in racing. Um, so he started a, a, a business of servicing and, and, and um, maintaining Porsches for people doing upgrades. He would do some other cars as well, but primarily focused on Porsche. Uh, my brother had gone to work for him, I believe, in 2014 or 2015. Not sure exactly when. Um, but Walter was ready to retire in 2016. And he called me up and he said, you know, hey, I, I want to retire and, you know, 
you, you should buy my shop. <laughs> there and you go. With Walter, if, if you know him, you'll know it wasn't so much as a, a question as a directive. <laughs> yeah. It was not, you, he, you, he was that guy. You could or he? you should. It was, you will buy my shop. Yes, you will. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we laughed about it. And I, I talked to my brother a bit and he said, you know, it's a great shop, very well run. We've got a lot of business, you know, uh, and all that. So I, you know, opened up a discussion, negotiation with Walter. We came to terms and I ended up buying it. And so we ran it as Gerber Motorsport for the next six years at the current at the, at the location where it was. Uh, he'd been leasing some space from John Goodman, and and of course anyone from the Northwest is involved. Oh in, yeah, John, yeah, another historic racer up here. Yeah, yeah, and John, of course, had been around a long time and uh, had raced a number of different cars. It was a fantastic collection in his own right. Kind of focused on Ferraris and Corvettes; those are kind of his his things. And uh, Walter was doing work for him and and. Um, uh, renting some space for his own business. After I bought it, we decided to just stay where we were and operated as as Gerber Motorsport because Walter had built up a you know great reputation in in the Seattle area as a, as a Porsche shop to go to. And so we we ran it, and uh, I had you know some bigger aspirations. And over time, we were able to. Um, you know, kind of see our way clear. I had some managers that were running it. I, I was involved uh, very heavily in a software business down in Portland named VR Motion. And VR Motion made virtual reality software for driver training. Uh, I had done Pikes Peak in 2015, uh, met my co-founder for VR Motion who built a simulation of the Pikes Peak track and a simulation of the car that I raced, which was a radical SR8 with a little V8 in it. Um, ended up uh, doing 22 runs up the mountain in the sim, uh, and uh, when we went there, I ended up winning my class, the unlimited class, my first year out, which was pretty unheard of. Yes. And I knew it was really on to something because I'd never really done much simulation. Um, I'd hadn't spent a lot of time on, on simulators, but once I got into the VR and was able to really experience that immersive effect um, and just the muscle memory, the... the, the um, uh, amount of data that you can process in the sim is very similar to the real car, uh, of course, without the consequences. And with Pikes Peak, 156 corners, less than 20% of them have any guardrails. Yes, um, gnarly place. You, you need to, yes, a gnarly place. And it was terrifying in, on the one hand, but I'm really glad I did this simulation. So we started that company and uh, we focused immediately on the uh, transportation industry rather than the racing industry. I'd been around racing a long time and I knew there was just not enough drivers who were willing to spend money or teams that are willing to spend money on this kind of simulation. You know, they have their own Formula One and all has, and NASCAR have, and Andy Car guys, you know, they've got fantastic, very, very expensive high maintenance sims that they use. But what we wanted was something simple that could be adapted into the driver training market for driver's ed, the truck driving, the last mile, police, military, just first responders in general. So we started to grow that business. And I moved down to Portland, had managers running the shop up here. And then when COVID hit, um, our sim business slowed way down. My manager quit to go be with his family, you know, look after them from a COVID standpoint. And so I came up, moved up back up to Seattle and um, started working with my brother and the team to just become the, you know, the owner operator. Uh, my intention originally was to find another manager, but I decided when I got up here that I really liked being around cars again and um, then working and being back in Seattle. My dad's getting older and I wanted to just be back. This is one of my friends and family. We're not, not Portland so much. So I took over and uh, once I was kind of at the helm, um, I wanted to expand and that's what we did. 
Now you say expand. So a lot, and I'm familiar with Gerber. I mentioned in my intro, I had a 72S that I took to many shops and nobody could figure out what was wrong with that car. And it just, it had this weird thing going on. And I was so frustrated with it that I was about to sell it. And someone said, take it up to Walter, have him look at it. So I drove all the way up there because I live in Gig Harbor. It's a bit of a drive to get up there. And Uh he said, well, let me take it for a drive. And I jumped in the right seat and he jumped in the left and we went maybe a mile and he said, "Uh, throttle bodies. And I said, what? He said, you need new throttle bodies. And I said, well, nobody's mentioned that. They've done all sorts of every other thing. And talk about a Swiss guy that can dial stuff in. And I picked that car up a week later. I didn't think it was the same engine. It was radically, he said, you were only getting like 70% throttle. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it was that. Now it wasn't in, it wasn't cheap, but I fell back in love with the car. And that's all that matters, right? Right, right. And by the way, nothing with Porsches is cheap. (laughs) <laughs> well, of course. I've had them for 45 years. I, I know you, you and I were talking before we went live here, and uh, this is the first time in 45 years I haven't had a Porsche in my garage, which feels a little naked, kind of weird. I'm, I'm working on whatever the next one's going to be after selling my Orange Crush, but uh, you and I know the guy that bought my car. You've worked on his cars, and so uh, you might even work on my car someday. So that's kind of, kind of cool. I, I still call it my car. I just say it's living in a nicer garage now. Yeah. Well, you know, these things that we, we, we don't really own them and in some ways they own us. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but That's for sure. The, you know, the older and more special they get, the, the, the more we become caretakers yep, yep. and and we want to pass them on to, to the next person who's going to, you know, uh, take care of them as well. Yeah. So, so tell me about some of the other things that you do there at your business. Well, so what we did is we started looking around for a bigger space. We were very space constrained. Um, at Goodman's, we just we, there was nowhere for us to to grow, and I wanted to get in the car sales business. Um, I wanted to get into the car storage business. I wanted to get into the EV conversion business. Not necessarily all at the same time, but over over the course of time, and really just start focusing in on Porsche only, rather than you know we were working on Mercedes and Audi and BMWs, and it, it, it's a bit much. Uh, to really be experts in all those cars. And there's plenty of shops around that kind of specialize in, or don't specialize. They're they're open for kind of any European car, any American car. We didn't want to do that. So we started looking around for space, and it took about a year, year and a half to find the right spot. We wanted to stay in Seattle. You know, during COVID, people were fleeing downtown Seattle like rats on a ship. Shops were moving, people were moving, everyone to get out in the suburbs and all that. And, you know, we talked about it. We thought about it. I pulled some of my customers and asked them what they thought. Almost to a one, they said, oh, please stay in Seattle. You know, we live in Magnolia. We live in Queen Anne, Ballard, downtown. You know, there's just lots and lots of Porsches here. And when you have companies like Amazon and Google and other Facebook coming in and, and hiring young people, um, paying them very well in Seattle, most of them are single. And so they're buying Porsches. And so there's probably double the number of Porsches today as there were when I bought this business. It's, it's quite incredible. And as they come off warranty, they're looking for a less expensive place to get their car worked on than the dealership. And maybe something more convenient, the dealership's in Bellevue. And if you live in Magnolia, bringing your car to Bellevue to have it worked on, even for a simple oil change or tire change, you know, it's a pain. It's, it's a, it's a, it ends up being a half or a whole day project. So we decided to stay in town. You know, I grew up in the city, my brother did, and we like it here. Um, and so we were fortunate enough to be able to hire a couple of young techs. Uh, we found a spot that we could grow into that enabled us to 
get our dealer license so we can start, you know, buying and selling, taking trade-ins, consigning cars. We're not exclusive to Porsche with our sales department now. We'll do any kind of European car, right? Yeah. We don't sell Chevy pickup trucks, but, you know, fun, fun cars. And then we were able to, once we get established in this new location, expand our shop. We added a lift and added an, an, another tech, which expanded our capacity. Started, you know, once we got our dealer license, we started moving some cars through and we're getting our, um, you know, kind of, uh, understanding the business a little bit better and, and starting to produce, you know, some good results, sales results on that. And then uh, we had the opportunity to expand even further. There was a, a space that opened up behind our shop adjacent on the same, you know, driveway that we got the landlord to convert to a car storage facility for us now. Oh, cool. So we just opened that up uh, October 1st, and we have room for about 24 cars there. And uh, it's been filling up very fast. We really haven't done any advertising or anything, just word of mouth. And so what we found is that there's just a synergy that is natural in the business where you've got storage and service and sales. One leads to the next, which leads to the next. Yeah, it's great. I I, I love all these aspects of, of of scaling your business, if you will, and it's something that makes sense. And up here in the wintertime when it starts raining a lot, uh, people with nice cars, if it's a toy car, they tend to put them away. But a lot of people don't have room in their garage, so they know they're, the car is trusted. They can have you service it before you bring it back out in the spring, and they take it for a drive. So it kind of works. You know what I want to touch on, though, is the word EV and making cars into EVs. I wasn't aware you were thinking about doing this. What is this all about? Well, it, it goes back a ways. You know, I got introduced to a fellow who founded a little electric car company in Vancouver, BC, back in my IndyCar days, um, back in the you know mid-90s. And we kind of stayed in touch casually. And then after he started this company, we engaged in a dialogue about, you know, this car. It was a single-seat, three-wheel car, commuter car. Are we talking about Henry Reisner? Well, Henry was part of the company. Yeah, yeah. his actually his... Intermechanica. Correct. Yeah. That's right. Intermechanica got purchased by a guy, a guy by the name of Jerry Curl, and they rebranded it Electromechanica, and they started building these EV cars. And Henry had, been, of course, been building cars for years with his father over in Europe. Oh, yeah. Moved to Canada and was building a lot of replica 356s, some with Porsche, Subaru, Volkswagen Motors, and then they started doing EV conversions. Yeah. And I went and drove one of these, uh, one of his 356 Porsche, we'll call it brand, Porsche branded, Porsche lookalike, uh, replica Porsche, I guess, electromechanic, of course, with a, with a electric motor. And the thing was ungodly fast. <laughs> I, I mean, know. I, it's I, incredible. I'm so impressed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, um, you know, did it sound like a, a internal combustion engine? No. I mean, that's just something that they just don't do, and you have to get used to that. And I know for a lot of kind of gearhead, that's one of the big turnoffs uh, with EV. But, you know, I've listened to so many engines and been in front of and behind so many engines in my life that a little peace and quiet sounded pretty good to me. <laughs> with some speed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. The speed, that's the important thing, not the sound. Of course. Anyway, um, I started conversations with, with a couple of people about doing a conversion. I've always wanted to do one. We looked at doing a formula car conversion right before COVID started, and we you know, that project kind of got put on hold. So uh, about a year and a half ago, I, I lucked into uh, finding a little Porsche 914 with no engine in it. Uh, a friend of mine was selling, actually one of our customers was selling, just trying to clear his garage out. So I bought it with the idea of converting this, putting a Tesla motor in it. And so we have now um, secured a um, 
project manager for that, and we're looking for a space to work on it because we, we don't really have the space here. Even though we expanded, we don't have a dedicated space to, to do a, you know, a long-term project like that. It's going to take a year to do all the engineering and all that. Nobody sells a kit right now, so we have to do a lot of the engineering ourselves. So uh, we got a guy, we got a car. We just literally um, yesterday bought an engine for it, and we'll start shopping around for batteries and going to make this thing into like a little outlaw EV, you know, tire burning 914 (laughs) rocket. You know, I love this. Uh, I've been friends with Henry forever. I've driven many of his cars, pre-electric versions. I have had him on the show uh, when they got into the solos, building them over there in China. I had the guy who owns the business now on the show. And yeah, you know, it's a neat idea. And I I tell you, here's a funny story, Dominic. I bought the first electric Intermechanica from Henry ever. Really? Yeah. Now, there's another part of this story. I called him up one day when uh, I was back at Griot's Garage and I was designing our new corporate headquarters. And I said, Henry, I'm finally going to order a car from you. He said, oh, I'm so excited. I know you're going to want to put a 2.2 liter or a 2 liter 911 engine in. I said, no, I don't really need an engine. He said, what? I said, I just need the car. In fact, I don't even need the whole car. I just need half a car. I was like, okay, now you've got me confused. Well, Dominic, if you've ever been to the Griot's Garage headquarters, there's half a Speedster sticking out of the ground in the front of that building. Oh, right. Right. I've seen that. Well, I ordered that car from him. I did a little sketch and I sent it to him one day and I said, this is what I need. And I do need some electricity in it because I want the horn to work and I want the headlights to work because they're going to shine at the American flag that we have on the pole out front there. And so Henry built me that car. He drove it down and when he went across the Canadian border, they said, what on earth is that? Because there's rules about bringing cars over the Canadian border. and they, A lot of his cars had to be brought down here to put engines in them because they couldn't transport a fully built car. At any rate, long story short, we buried that in the ground and it's still sitting there. And so, yeah, I can say I'm the first guy to ever buy an electric car from Henry when it was Inner Mechanica. So there you go. Now you've heard the rest of the story. That's a that's a small world. Um, yeah, Henry's Henry's a good guy. I enjoyed um, quite a bit of time with him and, and going to visit him up in this factory. Yeah, in fact, he just got back from Italy because that's where he started. His dad started mm-hmm. building mm-hmm. basically hot rod parts for Fiats and stuff over there. The whole story is in a book which he put together, which is really cool. His mom is still with us, so yeah, it's it's a fun story. But I'm excited by what what you're doing here because I've had many people on the show that build electric vehicles. They take old cars. Of course, Z Electric down in San Diego. He does Volkswagens. He's done some Porsche 911s. I'm not sure if he's done a 914 or not, but uh, uh, David Bernardo. They're working on a package, a kit for 914 now. Uh, We just actually were down there from last week. Oh, perfect. Okay. And and well, my project manager went down. I didn't. Uh I, I didn't go down, but he went down and talked to them and very knowledgeable people down there enjoyed the visit learned a lot oh they've been doing it for a while oh yeah they've been doing it for a while and and so you know we're gonna take what they have unfortunately they don't have like a ready-made kit for us that we could just buy they're working on one but they don't think it's going to be done until you know late summer who knows what and we're a little more anxious uh to move forward. So yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a small world. And, you know, I, I think we'll end up doing some work with Henry, getting some consultant. He's got a, a, just a depth of knowledge about this. So yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. And the goal would be to, you know, finish this car out, bring it to some car shows, you know, do some 
tool tire burning YouTube videos, you know, social media, all that. And then if somebody wants to buy it, great, I'll sell it and then build another one. And then uh, hopefully start doing some some donor car conversions for customers. Well, I think it's a great platform. I had a 73 2.0. Uh, 914 I bought for my son uh, when he was just 15 and they're just such fun cars they're little go-karts you know that you've driven them and yeah oh, you, know, for sure. you put yeah. like a six-cylinder motor in those like Porsche did for that one one year or two and they're even better but putting an electric oh my gosh they've already got two trunks so it's a it's a great fit I can't wait to see what you've done we're going to take a short break and thank our sponsors we come back we're going to talk a little bit more with the great Dominic Dawson so we'll be right back We all count on skilled auto technicians to ensure that our families and ourselves are safe on the road. That an airplane will get me safely to my destination. That trucks are moving the stock to shelves of essential parts and things that we need. That's why Tech Force Foundation's slogan is so appropriate. When techs rock, America rolls. I love that. Tech Force is a charity of cars, yeah. And like all charities... They need our support. If you love cars and can relate to the young person's desire to turn their passion into a career, go to techforce.org today and donate or become a volunteer. That's techforce.org. You've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine here on Cars Yeah for a couple of years now. Well, they're growing. And in 2023, they're going to grow from four issues a year to six. And there's an opportunity here for you to take advantage of this growth. If you go to linkagemag.com and click on the renew button, if you already subscribe, you can get a great deal. Use the code renew6 for one year and you'll get six issues for the price of four or type in renew12 for two years where you also have a great savings. Plus, they'll even throw in a free linkage hat. How cool is that? The publisher of Linkage is Donald Osborne. He's been a guest multiple times here on Cars Yeah. He's become a good friend of mine and I'll tell you, Linkage Magazine is one of those newer magazines that you're going to want to get. It's all about experiences, opinions, and values. It's a wonderful publication, something I look forward to getting. And now that I'm going to be getting six a year, even more special. So go to linkagemag.com. Again, use the code RENEW6 or RENEW12 to get that special deal. Do it before December 31st, 2022, so that in 2023, you'll get six issues of Linkage Magazine instead of four. So, Dominic, uh, you know, I like to talk about challenges. And with this transition into what you're doing now, what were some of the challenges? You touched on one, space was a problem. That always seems to be the challenge growing any kind of business and scaling in any kind of business. Was Has that been your main challenge with the evolution of Dobson Motorsport? Well, actually, so, you know, Dobson Motorsport was my company and I used for years. And we ended up starting a new company when I bought Gerber Motorsport. And a holding company just called it Performance Holdings. And, um, you know, we operate as Gerber. But when we moved to our new location, one of the things we decided to do is change the name to better reflect, you know, my brother and I's interest in it. Uh, Walter long since retired and he didn't care. You know, he, he, he had a great legacy and, and we were able to, you know, benefit from that by operating under his name. But we thought, Moving and changing the name, and I didn't realize what a big task that was. I mean, I I knew it was going to be a big task, but you don't fully appreciate these till you're in the midst of it. So moving the shop and trying not to lose too much, you know, business in the meantime. Um, we only shut down for one week, which is not a lot of time to move, you know, lifts and equipment and no. you know tools and it's big heavy stuff, right? It's not like moving an apartment. So we decided to change the name at the same time. 
that was a bit of a challenge, you know, just kind of updating everything. And, you know, you, you think it's pretty simple. You just change your name and you carry on. It's the same tax ID number, same company. But with vendors and all, they, you know, you got to start over in a lot of cases and, you know, set up new relationships and get your emails and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, that, that was a challenge. The good news was that we stayed really busy throughout. And I think that we've taken the reputation that Walter built and, you know, made it even better, you know, getting people to understand that, you know, A, we are the same company that Walter Gerber started 23 years ago. We're just new location, new name, same people. I, you know, our, our tagline was, you know, same customers, same company, new location, new name. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the end, this worked out really well. Everybody after COVID pretty much around uh, with the exception of Denny Akers, He's the only other shop that stayed in Seattle. Um, everybody else departed. And so, you know, for our core group of customers, um, you know, they, they love the fact that we're right here and, you know, kind of an unusual industrial area in Seattle. We're right by the Ballard Locks and Fisherman's Terminal, which is one of those parts of Seattle that if you don't have a reason to come here, you never would. Yeah, it's that's well, that was my challenge with my my 911 is it was so far away. And yeah. but I'd taken it to all the shops around here. Nobody could fix it. And Walter used he was a godsend. I I still think, well, I'm still talking about him today about doing that for me because it, it brought back a huge smile to my face. So uh, but, you know, when people want to have their their beloved cars worked on and many of these Porsche owners, that's the way they look at their cars, right, is they want somebody who's going to figure it out and what better to have you and your brother and the team that know what they're doing? I mean, that makes you, uh, even whatever check you write, it makes you smile because you know things are going to be correct. Well, and and that's the key. And, you know, we took a Patrick, certainly my brother, Pat Dobson, uh, you know, he learned a lot working with Walter and some of the Walter's other mechanics. Um, and he'd worked on Porsches prior to that. He'd worked at Danny Acres. He'd worked at Complete Automotive. He'd worked at a couple of other shops around that specialized in, in Porsche. Paul Weir before he went out. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he, he had a lot of knowledge. And, you know, we looked at hiring some other experienced techs and honestly, we decided that we'd rather hire younger guys, maybe not quite as experienced, and train them the right way, um, as opposed to taking another person who learned how to do things one way, and then, you know, we've got to try and integrate that. And I, I just said, you know, Pat, I, I want you to be the mentor. Um, so we hired a young guy from Tacoma named Paul Smith, who I'd known for a while. Um, he'd been working at some different shops around Tacoma area, and then he started commuting up. Um, well, when we got to our new spot here, there was an apartment upstairs. Oh, <laughs> so perfect. I said, Hey, Paul, how would you like to, how would you like to stop commuting, uh, for three hours every day, you know? Um, and so he said, sure. So he actually moved in uh, upstairs as a nice one bedroom apartment with a view of the, you know, the, uh, the canal ship canal and pretty cool spot. And, um, we set him up. He's got a hobby, uh, wood, woodworking. So we set him up a little space in the, in the storage area so he can continue with his woodworking oh, hobby. Nice, nice. Spot. And then as soon as we got moved up here, um, we, we had another young guy approach us right out of tech school. Um, and I spoke with uh, his tech instructors and, and uh, you know, he was looking for just an apprentice kind of job and spoke with his guys and they said, you know, hire him. You'll never find anyone better, you know, at his age. And so we did and he's been working out super good. You know, so we've got two guys kind of, you know, one under the other in terms of just the apprenticeship and, and the training. And that's been working out well. And, you know, that's been kind of the least challenges. I know a lot of shops have a tough time finding good people oh, and it yeah, is tough. Yeah. And then, you know, when we started our, our sales side, 
I'd gotten to know a fellow by the name of Matt Adair, and Matt had been around the, the car world for quite some time, um, doing some racing. He raced a lot of the, the different Lemons races and a lot of endurance races, had a lot of off-road experience and such, and was a big Porsche fan. So we got to talk, and I said, hey, why don't you come on in you know, and join the business as a, as a you know, uh, head of sales, our sales manager, and you know, help me with, uh, with the dealership. So he's come aboard now and, and now he's full time and, you know, he runs all the sales and I run all the service. So there's been quite a few challenges, but, you know, generally speaking, we're just trying to uh, approach things methodically and, and, you know, put one step, uh, one foot in forward with the other and just continue to grow the business. That's great. Now, one of the things I know about you is you have a bucket list item in your head of running at the Bonneville Salt Flats and going over 300 miles an hour. Is that still on your bucket list? Is that something you still like to do? Absolutely. Yeah. So when I when I retired from racing in 1998, I decided there was three things I wanted to do for sure um, in, in terms of racing uh, before I kind of officially hung up my helmet. And one was the Baja 1000, which I did with a friend of mine from Bellevue in 2005. OK, um, we just rented a car and, and you know, we got about ooh, a little over halfway through our stint. And we had some problems, which is a whole other story. <laughs> I'm sure. uh, and then I did. I wanted to do Pikes Peak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had a lot of fun, and I would go back and do Baja again in a heartbeat. It, it, it was just an absolute blast. And then we did Pikes Peak in 2015, 10 years later. Ran that radical up the hill and won my class. So yeah. that was a great, great event for me and, and personally and just, you know, marked another one off the list. Um, and so now my last kind of bucket list is I want to go 300 miles an hour at Bonneville or somewhere. You know, Bonneville's kind of been hit and miss in terms of its the salt there. Um, but... I would just as this fast. I've gone 245 in a in a sports car at Le Mans, a Porsche 962, um, and I just want to go faster than that, right? Because <laughs> yeah. speed has kind of been my thing, and so I haven't really done much of a focus on that yet, just because with the move and the, you know expanding the shop, <laughs> kind of busy running a bunch of businesses, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been busy. So you know, we'll get to it. I may not make it at the 10 year mark because I'd be Le Mans 05 and. and I speak in 15, and now I'm thinking, well, I have until 2025 to do the, huh. the Bonneville thing. No problem. So I may or may not make it. But the other big project that I've taken on is is I decided to just write a book about my life. Oh, and, awesome. Um, just a, a biography. Um, and, you know, I thought it might be an autobiography until I started doing it, and I realized, oh, this is this is way above my pig. My it's pay a scale lot there. of work. It is a lot of work, yeah. So I found a, a, a friend of mine's son, actually, that uh, was uh, uh, an automotive writer. He'd gotten uh, quite a few articles and did a few articles on me, and we were chatting one day over a beer, and I said, hey, how would you like to help me with this book? You know, um, because I'm not a very good typist. I type it probably, you know, 18 words a minute. Uh-oh. Then I have to go back and make correct mistakes. <laughs> okay. And, you know, he, he learned how to type properly and probably types 100 words a minute without mistakes. So I said, how about if I record a collection of stories, send you the audio tapes, and then you put them on paper. We'll oh. put them in the computer and then help me organize it and this and that. So he's kind of become my official biographer. Tommy Perry's his name. And, and uh, we meet once a week and kind of go through. And um, Our goal is to have a rough draft by the end of the year. But I can't finish the book until I, you know, do the, the Bonneville thing. That's kind of going to yeah. be the final, the final yeah. chapter. In the oh, book. Exciting. Well, I'm, I'm excited. Well, when that book comes out, you have to come back and we'll have to talk about it. That's, that's fantastic. It's, I think it's a great thing. So look, look forward to that. Now, I know you like to give back in a variety of ways. And one of them is you've been coaching drivers. Uh, Andrew Evans, who's been a guest on the show, and Marco, I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Uh, is that something you want to continue to do? 
Well, I kind of have. So this, um, I, I got to meet um, Andrew, you know, years ago at a go kart race and um, helped him quite a bit, raise money primarily. Not not so much coaching in terms of the driver driving aspect of it, but just the the skills that you need outside the car in terms of fundraising and PR and marketing and talking to teams and presenting yourself properly. Um, so I worked with Andrew and he got quite a ways down the road. He raced in Europe for Zach Brown's uh, United Autosports team yeah. in, a, in a LMP3 car. Uh, he raced an LMP2 car. He got to race at the uh, Petit Le Mans. And then I think he's just, uh, you know, taking a break now. Once COVID hit, it became really difficult for, to oh, find gotcha. the funding to oh, do that. Yeah. He had some great support, uh, particularly from a man named Bruce Wanta here in, in Seattle. He's a great collector and just a oh, yeah. wonderfully generous patron of the sport. And then I met Marco Kasich through um, the, the solo guy, Jerry. They, he bought a simulator for Marco from us, uh, an old racing simulator that we had. And uh, he started practicing on that. And then I, he, uh, the, I got invited by the team owner out to a couple races at Portland. We got to talking and the, the team owner, Francois Durand's his name, had a company called Durand Competition. It was going to run Marco in Formula 4 and then in Formula a regional, which is a, like a Formula 3 in the U.S. And uh, asked me if I wanted to come aboard as the competition director. Uh, that was end of last year, about a year ago. And so I did a handful of races this year with the team. We ran up to as many as four drivers, most all of them teenagers. And uh, I was there kind of on behalf of uh, Francois to be at the event and, you know, just oversee this uh, this effort that was going on. And so uh, the answer is yes, I, I enjoyed it doing a lot. Um, you know, the, 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 the kids are easy. Sometimes the kids are easier than the parents. <laughs> well, it's always uh, the way it is. Just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes parents are very realistic about the expectations they have, and sometimes they're not. And you have to manage that. And in most of the cases with young drivers, especially in formula cars and such, the parents are the ones footing the bill. And it's not an inexpensive sport, as you know, by any no, means. You know, no. you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And sometimes at the end of the year, you look at each other like, what do we really have to show for that? Except, you know, a couple of, you know, maybe you got a podium or two, but you got a crashed equipment and big bills. And, you know, it's, it's a very challenging sport. But I enjoyed it. What I'll do going forward, I, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll, I'm still involved in, in management with, with Marco. Um, and there's some other drivers that I'm kind of following closely and you know, very uh, staying abreast of their career and, and doing what I can. But I've got my plate full between, between the shop here and, and our simulation business. I don't have a lot of time left to do any kind of racing. <laughs> you, you think? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there's this thing called sleep. I understand well, sleeping yeah, and eating. It, it's overrated. Yeah, just I'm skip it. You, have plenty, you know, <laughs> when Don Garlitz was on my show, he had a great quote. He said, Mark, I'll have plenty of time to sleep when I'm dead. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's there's right. there's a guy who's still right. going strong at quite an elderly age. Dominic, I'm really happy you came back and you could share what's going on in your life because it's just amazing how things have evolved. And yeah, the last time we spoke was 2015. You were talking about the, the run up Pikes Peak. And I can't believe it's been so long. And the world has certainly changed quite a bit. But I really appreciate you coming back. Before I let you go today, could you share maybe a, a success quote or some words of inspiration for people out there that want to have a life around motorsports like you? Well, you know, I'd say the one thing is just, and it's been said many, many times before, is persistence. You just can't give up. Um, you know, if you if you talk to any of the very successful race car drivers or athletes or you know people who are successful in business, I think they'll all tell you that sticking with it, you know, having a plan, right, and then sticking with your plan because you're always going to have more setbacks than you have successes. 
Um, and so you have to, you know, it, it's not the setbacks, it's how we recover from them and, and move forward. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of setbacks in my racing career. And, um, you know, you just have to get up Monday morning and, you know, put your pants on and, and go out and do it again and, and learn from those mistakes. And, you know, and you have to have the passion for it as well, too. And we see this kind of with some of the kids that were running with us. Some of them were really committed and devoted and wanted to be professional race car drivers. And some were there because they wanted to have a good time mm-hmm. and they could afford to be there. And you can tell the difference right away, you know, just in <laughs> yeah. the, the level of passion that they have for, for the sport and their commitment to it. Well, well said. And I want to encourage you listeners, uh, you can check out uh, Dominic's website at Dobson Motorsports. You know, actually, the better website for in terms of car inventory now is, is called DobsonStuttgart.com. That's our, our shops and our dealerships uh, website. And that's where we actually have kind of our road cars. And, you know, the name is kind of an anomaly. Well, not an anomaly, but it, it's kind of a double entendre in that Stuttgart, of course, is where Porsches were are made right um and it's also where i happen to be born because my dad was in the army and met my mom living in zurich they got married over there and then had me and when i was quite young they uh, packed us all up and packed the three of us up and and my older sister as well and we flew in uh, to seattle and been here since so um, that's people say, well, why Stuttgart? And I said, well, I was born there. So <laughs> that's where I was born. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's pretty darn cool. Well, see, I learned something new about everybody I have on the show, even people that come back that I've known for many years. So I really appreciate that. I'll put links to all of the uh, websites we talked about today on Dominic's show notes page on the Cars Yeah website, but he's easy to find. You just Google him and you, everything will pop up. Follow him on Instagram, Facebook, all the good social media sites. Dominic, thanks for taking a little pit stop with us today and coming back and sharing your world. This has been great fun. You bet. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!